Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of March 9th, 2020. On the show today, we review Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, the new Mickey Shorts Theater, and the opening of Flower and Garden. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of trackless rides like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Let's get started by bringing in the man who joined a gym in January, but hasn't made any progress. Next week, he's headed down there in person to see what's going on. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Well, to be fair, Len, at the house, we have a treadmill. And in late December, early January, we bought a rowing machine. And the challenge I'm facing now is, you know how we can use a treadmill to drape clothes over, you know? Yeah, it's great for clothes drying. Yeah, sure. I can't think of anything to, to, to drape over the rowing machine. I can't cover it and forget that it's there and not use it, so... <laughs> Here's my idea for the rowing machine. Mm-hmm. If you put a potted plant on it, you mm-hmm. can then slide the potted plant around based on where sun is Ooh, during it, different parts of the day. We actually yeah, so if you have put the rowing out- machine by the window. Right, exactly. We have it in the sunroom right now. I'm going to tell Nancy about that as soon as she gets home. <laughs> Excellent idea. <laughs> I'm here for you, Jim, and all of your uh, exercise needs. There we go. Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Laura W., Ben M., and Penny T., and longtime subscribers, Mary Beth T., JTD, and Colleen P. These are the folks that provide the background screaming on rides like Tower of Terror and Expedition Everest. I heard that they rode Everest once, and their yelling caught the ear of a young Imagineer named Joe Rohde, who exclaimed, That pitch! Such resonance! You must come work for me. Anyway, <laughs> it's a union job with good benefits, like throat lozenges... True story, Jim. It's interesting you bring up Joe Rohde because just yesterday, Michelle and I were recording a new I Want That, and we were telling the story about how Alice was a newborn. So this is this is 1994. We're visiting friends at the Adventurers Club, and who comes in but Joe Rohde? He's literally there with a friend to walk through the grand hall of the, the Adventure Club and go like, I used to own that. I used to own that. I found that in Sri Lanka. (laughs) From my personal collection. Yes. She should be in my bathroom. And the thing is that he sees us. We're in the little alcove at the bottom of the stairs because that's where our friends, the cast members, come in and out before they go out and perform and that sort of thing. And Joe sees Alice and just snatches her up because it, it turns out his own son was at home, and I guess he was less than nine months, six months at that point, and he so missed babies. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's walking around inside of the salon doing the tour, but at the same time sniffing the top of Alice's head like, oh, baby smell. Baby Baby smell, smell, exactly. (laughs) It's just the best. (laughs) I just wish I had a a, a photo of him, because I have to imagine at that point the earring was only teacup saucer size rather than dinner plate size. Sure. That's fantastic. I was walking by, uh, it was in Disney Springs a couple days ago when I was walking by, giving Hannah the tour of what the buildings used to be. Mm-hmm. And we stopped off at Marie and Enzo's and was like, ah, this is the Adventurers Club. And then we t- told the story of Adventurers Club. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a lot of fun. All right, Jim, let's, uh, let's do the news real quick. The big news, obviously, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway has now opened at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I managed to spend the night in a trash can at Disney's Hollywood Studios and get in for the media preview. Okay. The things we do for the show, Jim, mm-hmm. the things we do for the show. Also, I wrote it uh, yesterday during opening day when the, uh, the line stretched to 300 minutes Oof. at the beginning. Okay. Let me say, everything good you heard about the ride is true. It's a trackless ride. The premise, I think, as we all know, is Goofy's a train conductor. conductor. Something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that is the basic premise. So you board a train of... Four cars, not connected, again, because this is all trackless. 
But when you're boarding the train, you can't tell that the vehicles aren't connected because the loading area actually has constructed into the floor what looks like railroad tracks. So it looks like it's, it's, it's a train on a track. You start in a first scene. Uh, the first scene is uh, called The Park. You're riding on the train. Mickey and Minnie are in a car to your right. And the first thing you notice when you get into this first show scene is how big the sets are and how vibrant and bright the colors are. I know Disney hyped this as uh, you being in the cartoons with Mickey and Minnie, but Jim, that's exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, the colors are bold. It's all around you. And they're using that 360-degree projection technology as well, the seamless stuff mm-hmm. that you've seen at the Epcot experience. It's all that. So you're in the first scene with Mickey and Minnie to your right. Uh, you go through this tunnel. This is where things start to go wrong. Goofy is the train conductor. He's in the engine of the train. You get disconnected from that, and then all of the cars separate. And this is where you see four independently moving trackless vehicles sort of come into their own. There's a Wild West scene. And again, all of the artwork looks like the modern Mickey Mickey and Minnie cartoons. Mm -hmm. You go through a carnival scene, like a circus scene. Just like Great Movie Ride, there's a twister scene (laughs) uh, in it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A really elaborate waterfall scene. And in my favorite part of it, remember back in the old Magic Kingdom attraction, if you had wings, where you would go into the tunnel and either the plane would be landing or taking off or the scenery would be going by you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one, Jim? Yep, yeah, speed tunnel. Mm-hmm. Speed tunnel, yeah. There's a scene like that, but it's a waterfall scene mm-hmm. with projection technology, and it is fantastic. There's also, I think, scents, like smells mm-hmm. going on in each of these scenes. Then you run through a big city scene. There's a, a scene with Daisy Duck in a dance studio that, Jim, I swear to God, the Imagineers put in there only to demonstrate the capabilities of the trackless ride vehicle technology. Mm-hmm. The four ride vehicles end up doing a waltz together. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, you know, mm-hmm. the, the movement of a waltz. Mm-hmm. But you're in a trackless ride vehicle doing it it's, it's like <laughs> I was, the person i was riding with was like they just wanted to demonstrate what a trackless ride vehicle could do here right yeah that was it mm-hmm. then if they form a conga line and we go out there's a uh, there's a factory scene with i think approximately eight bajillion running gags in it like i think in one of the scenes there's a zerg helmet mm-hmm. oh yeah like all kinds of, there's all kinds of hidden stuff throughout these scenes mm-hmm. and then you end up uh in the finale sort of a picnic scene where everything comes together right and then you go back to the, uh, to the load area. It's, uh, but like I said, the, the colors are just beautiful. The animation is fantastic. The projection is excellent. Mm-hmm. All of the show scenes are big. Like there's, it's not, it's not like, you know, Disney dark rides do like Snow White's Scary Adventure, which was a fine ride for what it was, right? But in terms of scale, mm-hmm. relatively small. These are not quite the size of it's a small world scenes, but they're closer to that in terms of scale mm-hmm. and color than they are to, to Snow White. I mean, just a lot of detail. Ton, you, can't, you can't possibly see mm-hmm. all of the gags going on in, in, the, uh, in the ride. The other thing, Jim, is the experience is on both sides around you. Mm-hmm. Like you, can't, you don't have to just focus left or focus right. There are things going on all around you. So you know how like in um, Frozen Ever After, as you're going through the boat ride, mm-hmm. there are oftentimes you're passing through scenery where there's absolutely nothing but a blank wall on the left or on the right, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are show scenes where 
you know, sometimes you're floating through for 10 or 15 seconds and there's nothing but gray walls. This is not like that at all. Mm. Everything is chock, every scene is chock full of stuff to see. The other thing that I like that they did really, really well is sometimes the scenes are dark until you're in them and then everything happens at once. So it's a, it's a, it's a really neat effect. Mm. What's interesting though, is this is also a somewhat controversial point with, with Disney diehards is this attraction clearly leans into those brand new Mickey Mouse shorts that Walt Disney Television and Animation began producing back in March of 2013. Paul Reddish is the gentleman behind these. And if you've only known the Mickey theatrical shorts, you know, and the, the, the humor from those, you know, the, the, oh, the ones no. from the 40s and the 50s, this is kind of a rude awakening. It's definitely different. I think the I think these cartoons are better. I think this this generation of Mickey Mouse cartoons are the best they've ever done. You're preaching to the choir here. And by the way, if you if you haven't seen the the cartoons yet, mm-hmm. there is the new Mickey Shorts Theater mm-hmm. right next door, right down the the walkway, that's showing a new uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon called Vacation Fun, and that's got footage. It's vacation related footage from some of the more popular mm-hmm. new Mickey Mouse uh, cartoons. So from like Couple Sweaters, uh, Osolo Mini. Amore Motore, and of course, Potato Land is in there, wrapped around with some, with some new uh, animation in there. Somebody put that up online yesterday, and it really is... Oh, it, it made it up on YouTube? It's up on YouTube now. It is, okay. for lack of a better term, a highlight reel. If you're not familiar it is. with these, these cartoons, in fact, if you are not familiar with the Paul Reddish shorts, it might make sense to start your experience by going to the Mickey Mouse Shorts Theater to sort of see this film and then doing Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, because that way you have a sense of the stylization, the sense of humor. And, and to be honest, I think it makes it that much more stunning when yeah. you look at them and go like, dear Lord, they actually managed to take this sort of style and bring it to life. And as they describe this attraction, two and a half dimension. Yeah. It's pretty close to 3D without the glasses. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there aren't any glasses on the... Uh, on the right, it's it's got three dimensional sets. It's got the projection technology, mm-hmm. and and they're projecting some stuff in three D. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. I would give this between four and four and a half stars. Mm-hmm. We think the ride capacity is around fifteen hundred people an hour. Opening day, mm-hmm. the lines were as high as three hundred minutes. They got down to around one hundred and ten, one hundred and twenty mm-hmm. during the afternoon. That's what I sort of expect it for the foreseeable future. Somewhere between you know like seventy five and one hundred and twenty mm-hmm. minutes for now. It's a ride for everyone. The entire family's going to like it. Again, you can ride it multiple times and see new things each time. I've been on it, I think, six times now, and I, I haven't seen everything in it. So it's rewritable. It's got air conditioning. It's got, obviously, a great character, great storyline. I think it's a, a hit. So did, did you catch the comments of the, uh, I want to say, John DeMarco, the new president of the Walt Disney World Resort, about how this is the crowning achievement of the multi-year transformation of Disney's Hollywood Studios? I did not, and I would I would hope to th- to think that we need more rides. I mean, I think we need more rides in the studio. No, you're um, not wrong. The crowning achievement of Phase Two <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really have the ring to it, Jim. So maybe the speechwriter was like, you know, I get that. Yes, I get this that. Is, so. This is where we're at mm-hmm. now. Yeah, they really do need more rides, and more rides like this. I might add mm-hmm. too. It's not like they have they've got to do six more things like Rise of the Resistance. If they can do other rides like this, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that for the studios. I will say, Jim, that because um, I got there super early. Mm-hmm. ABC Commissary was serving breakfast. Ah. 
And it was it was a pretty decent breakfast. Mm-hmm. But that brings up my other point that the, the thing that the studio needs. The studio still needs restaurants. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that we're we've got the right mix of quick service and table service restaurants yet mm-hmm. for that park, especially towards the back end of the park. I know that Woody's barbecue is gonna help a little bit, mm-hmm. but I, I still feel like there's one more good quick service needed at least in that park. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the multi-year transformation of Disney's California Adventure and how when Cars Land and Boy Vista Street opened, pretty much they were saying the same thing. It's the crowning achievement and it's the capstone. And then three years later, six months four years later, <laughs> hey, we got the yeah. Pixar Pier project announced. So all I'm saying is keep an eye on that stretch of the studio between the animation courtyard and rock and roller coaster. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that that land is is still available. Yes, it is. Anyway, Jim, speaking of uh, food, Flower and Garden opened yesterday as well. It was a busy day for me yesterday, Jim. Mm-hmm. I slathered on the sunscreen and was out all day. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, with my team, with my sister Christina, mm-hmm. our friends uh, Todd, Liz, and others, we walked around the Flower and Garden booths. And here was our, here's, here was our idea. This was Chrissy's idea for Flower and Garden. If you had $25 or $50 to spend on food booths at Flower and Garden, what would you spend that money on because we all know like it's it's almost impossible right to walk around flower and garden or world showcase and not buy something mm-hmm. from the food booths right i mean you would have to have an iron will mm-hmm. jim and I, and I frankly don't have that right so <laughs> okay you know 25 dollars is a couple of snacks and a drink mm-hmm. maybe three or four snacks and a drink mm-hmm. 50 dollars is is basically saying i'm gonna i'm gonna eat dinner by grazing my way around mm-hmm. world showcase but if you had to spend that money mm-hmm. what would you spend it on so we worked our way through I started off in France. I made it as far as the United States. Chrissy and, uh, and everyone stayed the entire day mm-hmm. to work their way around. But, um, but here are some of the things that we found. First of all, in the good old US of A, I think my top pick for value, mm-hmm. they're doing this thing called a Southern Seafood Boil. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, uh, it's a styrofoam uh, bowl with shrimp, mussels, crawfish, potatoes, corn, and andouille sausage. Now they're renaming this whole area Magnolia Terrace right now. Um, But this bowl of food, which had to weigh a pound, it's huge. $8, Jim. And it's, it's an entree for $8. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Did somebody tell these folks they're inside of a Disney theme park? I know, right? Like, well, the funny thing is, is like, we were joking that corn that you get at the Mexico pavilion Mm -hmm. is $6. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's about the same size. Yeah. So you're getting all of the seafood for $2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the other thing they had there too was they have, um, they're doing um, g- fresh grilled oysters. Ooh. And you can actually see they've got a little display area there where Chef Kevin was shucking oysters and putting them on the grill. $2.50 each, three for seven fifty uh, is the plate. But I'm like, where in Disney World can you get oysters, fresh oysters? For two dollars and fifty cents, I mean, Boathouse. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's they start at four. Jeez, right? And well, I mean, but e- yeah. even up here in New England, where supposedly we have an ocean right over there, restaurants here do things going you know, to promotions like buck a shuck. So two fifty yeah, exactly. inside of a yeah. Disney park. That's it. That's amazing. And so big, big juicy oysters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're finishing them with a Cajun butter, mm-hmm. which is nice. You don't need lemon or anything like that with it. It's a really good texture, very meaty. Again, a bargain at seven fifty. The other thing I like, we started off in France, and this was the first thing I had. It's duck l'orange. So it's a canard confit, mm-hmm. a l'orange with mashed sweet potatoes from France. 
perfectly braised in a really great sauce. They underneath the uh, the duck, and there was a generous portion of duck there. Sweet potato puree. Uh, scoop it all up and eat it together. It was it was great. The only thing that was wrong with this dish, they were trying to do like a crispy, I think, cheese thing on the side. Mm-hmm. But as we all, you know, like uh, sometimes it's not Parmesan, I know, because that's Italian. But, you know, like sometimes you can see like crisp, uh, Parmesan crisps. Mm-hmm. They were trying to do something like that with a French cheese, but it was also 89 degrees oh, yesterday yeah. in no, Florida no. with some humidity. Mm. You can't, you, can, you cannot crisp cheese. Yeah. I don't care how talented you are. You can't crisp cheese in Florida humidity. <laughs> but enjoy your crisp brie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's right. yeah exactly. Oy. But it was it was fantastic. It was really, really good. The other thing that I liked on this side of World Showcase was in Morocco. They're doing this fried cauliflower, and it's a spicy fried cauliflower. It's breaded, but it comes with capers, garlic, parsley, and a chili ranch sauce. This is a taste of Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. Super simple, really well done. Generous portion of fried cauliflower, $7. Jim, if you had told me this was pork... Mm-hmm. I would have believed you that it was pork. If you told me it was chicken, I would have believed you it was chicken. It was just delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely have to try that. And I would put the chili ranch sauce on, on literally everything. I would put it on cereal mm-hmm. if, I, if I could. I think um, those three dishes made everyone's top five um, list. The, uh, and then I had one, one dessert recommendation going back to the United States. They're doing this pecan cake with maple whipped cream and pralines. Mm. God bless America, Jim. God bless America. I would eat this for breakfast with coffee. I would eat this at night for dessert with maybe a splash of bourbon and be perfectly happy all day. Four seventy-five, excellent value. What I would do, you obviously need a fork to eat it. I would get an extra knife so you can fend off the grubby hands of other people who, who are trying to share this with you. Yeah. Just hold your fork in one hand and a knife in another. Keep one eye open. Poor Christine. Oh, my God. <laughs> we ordered enough for everyone. Okay. But, uh, okay. So the thing that was great was we, uh, you know, when we went to the United States Pavilion, uh, Chef Kevin, mm-hmm. you know, walked us through the, the oyster shucking and uh, everything and all of the dishes. And then we came over and ate it. And as he came over to see how things were going, we were literally fighting over the oysters and the seafood boil. And he's like, well, I, I guess they're good. <laughs> it was like, yes, they're good. It was, it was an amazing amount of food for $8. And as I say this now, mm-hmm. I know that somebody in Disney is listening and saying, $8? Did we say eight? We meant 12. Yeah. Also, virtually everything that we saw was available as a uh, snack credit on a Disney dining plan. And if that's a snack credit, Jim, load up on it. It's fantastic. Okay. Clearly, given what's going on in the entrance area of Epcot, normally there's that sort of big statement topiary. Right. Everything's pushed back into world, virtually everything's pushed back into world showcase. So like there's a great new Remy topiary that's in France. There's a fantastic Three Caballeros topiary. It's in Mexico. Virtually all that stuff is pushed back. And again, I think you're right. It's because there's so much construction going on at the front of the park. It would be pointless to put something big there when you know that half the people in the park have to go left and half of them have to go right. So 50% of the, the park visitors are going to miss it yeah. if you put it, you know, anyway, yeah. So I think, uh, I think everything's pushed back. But it does make World Showcase look really, really nice. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So in preparation for Flower and Garden on Wednesday, on Sunday, I went to La Hacienda at Mexico. And I haven't been there in a couple of years, but Laurel really likes it. So we, and she wanted Mexican food. And so we got a, a 745 reservation 
she also hadn't seen Epcot forever. Mm -hmm. So we managed to get a, a table by the window, waited a little bit longer for that. Mm -hmm. But I sat down at La Hacienda and immediately was shocked at the menu. The thing about La Hacienda was that they were doing upscale traditional Mexican food. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, sure. but like mm -hmm. they were really going for mm -hmm. the kinds of things that you would get in a, an upscale restaurant in Mexico, not the Tex-Mex, you know, tacos, tortillas, empanadas, things like mm -hmm. that. And so I saw the menu now and it's, it's been greatly simplified. And I was like, oh God, you know, this is, mm -hmm. this is why we can't have nice things, right? Like that they you know, had succumbed to the pressure of Disney profit margins. Mm -hmm. But I actually tried the food and it was really, really good. So we started off with guacamole and chips. And let me just say, I don't think you and I together on our hungriest day could eat all of the chips that they gave us. And it wasn't just, you know, because it was me there. They gave everyone this bushel of chips. Okay. So ours came with, um, our gu uh, guacamole came with uh, corn and peppers with pumpkin seeds. Mm -hmm. Super tasty. Again, tons of guacamole. I had for dinner the, oh, I had the flank steak, the Alhambra de Res. The flank steak with bacon poblano peppers and bell peppers with uh, Monterey Jack cheese, lime, and salsa verde. Mm -hmm. Came with four small flour tortillas. So I guess it's their, their take on fajitas, mm -hmm. steak fajitas. Twenty-eight fifty, Jim, a bargain. I ate all of the food, Jim, because you know me. I'm not a quitter. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I'm not. Okay. I like some fajitas. Mm -hmm. I am not, I'm not backing down from a challenge. Mm -hmm. But it was a ton of food. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't eat breakfast the next day. I was that full. Wow. Great, big, bold flavors, though, on everything. Mm -hmm. So the menu is simplified, but the food quality and the flavors are not compromised at all. I really enjoyed it all. And that's great to hear. But remember, there's, there's also these days at Disney a secondary issue why we're seeing this sort of thing prevail at a lot of restaurants that menus have crept in in size. And it mm -hmm. honestly has to do with the time it takes people to order. That the, the more there's on a menu, <sighs> the more they have to read. And there's tremendous pressure these days at the Disney theme parks to turn tables as quickly as possible. It's true. 10 items versus yeah. 16. It's like, you can decide that much faster. And you know. It does allow them to bulk buy ingredients. Also and, true. And, and, also the, true. Yeah. And, and to, to, like, to your point, it gets people to decide faster. I, I, I totally get that. And there were a lot more kids in this restaurant now than I had seen in years past. So they're definitely making it more family friendly. We had a great view of, of Epcot Forever too. But again, the, the food quality was excellent. The flavors were spot on. Um, for dessert, we had um, a puff pastry filled with apples, mm -hmm. uh, uh, sauteed caramel apples, the empanada de manzana. Mm -hmm. And then Laurel also had the sorbets. I think one was watermelon and one was strawberry. Again, huge portions. We split both of them and I, I didn't finish any of them. I, I, was, I was so full by that point. And also, so dinner with drinks and gratuity and all of the food that we ate was under $100 for two people. That's pretty impressive, you know, not, uh, not especially for, for Epcot. All right. So that's, that concludes the food portion of our show, Jim. Jim, uh, I know we were supposed to talk today about Bob Chapek's tenure as, uh, the history of Bob Chapek and his tenure as CEO. Uh, we're going to postpone that. Let me just give you a quick highlight of Bob Chapek's first 10 days as CEO of the Disney Corporation. First, a jungle boat sank. Mm -hmm. Second, two cars on the people mover collided. Third, we're in our third day of an unscheduled closure at the Haunted Mansion for no reason uh, that's been given. Fourth, of course, there are now uh, two confirmed cases of coronavirus announced in Florida. 
Jim, I understand that Bob Chapek's coming to Florida soon. What possibly will he be discussing? <laughs> the other bit of news here is that the Louvre closed on Saturday. And have you seen right. that six of the, the 12 Disney theme parks worldwide are now closed? And if you go to the Disneyland Paris site, they have a statement up which says, in effect, we're open, but we are monitoring the situation and we are conferring with health officials. The Louvre is the third most popular tourist attraction in France. Then number two is the Eiffel Tower, and number one is the Disneyland Paris Resort. Well, the thing is, is that the Louvre is indoors. So you know how France has already temporarily suspended any indoor gathering of more than five thousand people. I think the Louvre was mm -hmm. was one of those uh, one of those things. Disney World or Disney Parks are not quite like mm -hmm. that. But you, you've got to know that, that that's the prepared answer. Yeah. No, no, I get that. I do. I do. All right. So you think, uh, Jim, when Bob Chapek comes to Florida soon, we're gonna, there's going to be some talk about how we're, they're going to handle this in Florida? Yeah. And we've seen some recovery on Wall Street, given what's been going on. Yeah. But the last week, everyone was making comparisons to, this is like the financial correction in 2008. And remember what fell off the table in 2008 because of the financial correction. Hyperion Wharf, the, the Monsters Scream yeah. coaster for uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And there are a number of projects that have actually been announced that now because of, I mean, face it, you know, with, with Shanghai and Hong Kong and the two Tokyo yeah. parks closed, cash flow is getting interesting. And right. we're going to see this have an impact on Florida and California. How exactly? That's something Mr. Chapek will be discussing in, in the next week or so. Uh, so speaking of that, I know you've already seen some performance reductions in live entertainment in Walt Disney World. I'm told that's directly related to the closure of the parks in Asia. In fact, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but you know Disney suspended the performances of the Muppets present great moments in American history, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That was directly related to concerns about Asia, nothing to do with how the show was received in the parks, like nothing to do with the show quality, nothing to do with guest, guest ratings. What they said was essentially, we've got to show Wall Street that we're going to tighten our belts in reaction to what's going on there. And not many people are going to the parks specifically for great moments, oh, no, right? No. So it's one of those things where that sort of ambient entertainment gets cut first because they figured most people won't miss it. Yeah. yeah. That's what they were driving through there. Yeah. But to, to circle back to, Haunted Mansion. I mean, one of the reasons we've never seen Haunted Mansion Holiday come to Florida is the whole notion of people, when they go on to the Walt Disney World Resort, they expect when they go to the Magic Kingdom, they will get to ride Haunted Mansion. So that's why a two-month-long closure to put in Jack Skellington and the crew just doesn't work. So you can imagine what's going on at Guest Relations at the Kingdom right now, because it's like, hmm. what do you mean it's closed? There was nothing on the schedule, and it's like, we're, we're having issues. Yeah, kind oh. of a tough week. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim is going to give us the history of trackless rides like Runaway Railway. We'll be right back. We mentioned in, earlier in the show that Runaway Railway has just opened, but this isn't the first trackless ride system that Disney's produced, right? There have been others. Yeah, and before we get started here... Well, we were talking previously about trackless vehicles. Folk pointed out, well, remember that Aquatopia at Tokyo Disney Seas and Luigi's Rollicking Roasters is, you know, our trackless vehicle, you know, and they, you know, if you're going to talk about them, you got to mention those. And the reason we're, we're not going to touch on those today is they're very, very low capacity. It's two guests 
per vehicle. And for example, Rollickin' Roadsters only has, when they do the Italian festival dancing, there's only 20, uh, you know, of the cars out on the, the pad at a time. And whereas Aquatopia, again, these two passenger vehicles, they only put 36 vehicles out at a time. So they have ridiculously low capacity. Okay. So for today, we acknowledge they're trackless vehicles, but we're not going to talk about them. If we're going to talk about the history of Disney with trackless vehicles, first one obviously is Pooh's Honey Hunt, opened at Tokyo Disneyland back in September of 2000. A $130 million attraction, just a four-minute long experience. Oh, really? You were just talking about the 300-minute long waiting for Mickey and Minnie, and isn't that typically what this Fantasyland ride gets? Right, that, yeah, that kind of is. Yeah. You know, and in fact, I was, I was looking at the touring plan for Japan, and it was just, oh, you know, that's on a light day. Yeah, it's a super popular ride in, in uh, Tokyo. But this is their first attempt at, at doing trackless. So they launch in groups of three. Mind you, each of these vehicles only seats five people. There's three in the, the back row, two in the front. Mm-hmm. When you get into the actual physical attraction, uh, you know, one of the things that makes it really charming is the ceilings of the rooms are relatively low. When you're in the introductory scenes and it's a blustery day in the Hundred Acre Woods, you've got tree limbs overhead that are leafed out in fall colors. And as Pooh flies overhead, you're looking up at him. You can look up at Owl, who's in his house chatting down at you. But again, it's intimate. Also, when you move into the room with Tigger, where your vehicle then bounces along with Tigger, there's actually some incredibly clever stagecraft in there. I mean, in the, this moment of attraction, you think you're bouncing along with Tigger, but what's actually happened is there's just slight movement from your ride vehicle, but it's the scenery in the room that's actually bouncing up and down as well as really? the... Yeah, the projected footage. I mean, it, it's fascinating. And then you were talking earlier about some of the amazing theatrical lighting effects in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Wayway. Well, this is, this is where some of those ideas first got trotted out. Like, for example, there's this uh, amazing moment when you're inside of Pooh's house and he begins to dream about heffalumps and woozles, and the room basically falls away. And they shut down the lighting of the room, but they bring up these fiber optics that are embedded in the walls and you're surrounded by this star field and where did the room go? But when people talk about Pooh's Honey Hunt, they always talk about the big wow, the Heffalump and Woozle room. Now you travel in groups of three, the three ride vehicles, but as you entered this room, sometimes there were upwards of eight ride vehicles in the room, along with a, a basically a moving prop, which is yet another honeypot, but it's got you know, statues of woozles in it and everybody in the room begins to dance together. Now, mind you, as three ride vehicles come in, three ride mm-hmm. vehicles then leave the room and basically head toward the, you know, the final scenes of the attraction. But it's this giant space and full of kinetics and wonderful art direction and, and, and that sort of thing. And this is why it has those 300 minute long waits because people, it's like, this is like nothing I've ever seen in a Disney theme park before, but this is a short ride. I mean, this is like Disneyland dark ride short. It's dark ride. Four, like you said, four minutes, four right? minutes. Wow. Now we jump ahead to Mystic Manor at Hong Kong Disneyland, which opened in the Mystic Point section of that theme park in May of 2013. Based on what they learned from Pooh's Honey Hunt, the managers decided, okay, uh, we need to change up our trackless vehicles. So instead of seating five guests in two rows, we're now going to seat six guests in two rows. But 
at the same time, we're going to jump the number of vehicles that we can dispatch from load unload to forward at a time, uh, thereby increasing the ride's hourly capacity. Just like Pooh's Honey Hunt, it features animatronics uh, somewhat sparingly. Big thing here, though, is projection mapping. It's the first time it's been used in a ride. Uh. So you get these wonderful effects like when you, for example, roll into the Slavic Nordic chamber, you can watch the room, this you know, figure of, of a cloud appears in the corner of a painting and blows, and suddenly the entire room is encased in ice. Or, or when you enter the Chinese salon and it looks like you're in a, a room being torn apart by a tornado. Ah. Same thing with, with fiber optics, though. In this attraction, they use it in the opening scenes where you basically can watch the, the malevolent magic of the music box, you know, that sort of breaking loose in the acquisition and catalog room. Okay. Choice here was made low ceilings, tight spaces, because, of course, Mystic Manor was supposed to be Hong Kong Disneyland's version of the Haunted Mansion. And again, we get a big wow scene. At the very end of the ride, we get four of the Mystic Magneto electric carriages. That's what the ride vehicle is called. <laughs> okay. And you're in the Chinese salon all together as the room is seemingly torn apart by a tornado. But what I love about Mystic Manor is the cap gag where after Albert manages to close the music box, when the lights come up and you realize where you are, you are literally right where you began again. You know, in exact duplicate of the acquisitions and catalog room, and it's all been reset as if nothing happened. And that's when Lord Mystic leans into the room and it's like, oh, you know, Albert, you know, the music box, don't touch that. Bad things could happen. <laughs> but same thing with, like with Pooh's Honey Hunt. I mean, they, they went to the Sherman brothers, you know, who wrote the music for the Winnie the Pooh featurettes and had them do right. the score for the, that attraction. So in this case, they actually got Danny Elfman. It was the first time he'd ever written a score for a Disney theme park. And he actually talked about how once he worked on it, it's like, geez, now I realize what geniuses the Sherman brothers really are, you know, that they were actually able to do this. Right. What's different about Mystic Manor compared to Pooh's Honey Hunt is the sense of urgency that the stakes keep getting higher and higher where Pooh's Honey Hunt is really, you know, more gentle fun. Also right. key difference here, Mystic Manor is five minutes and 30 seconds long which really cuts into this ride's hourly capacity. I, as I understand it, right. only 1,440 guests per hour can experience it. And it was a hugely successful ride. But again, it's like, wow, 1,440. Yeah. So we now jump to Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. The first version opened at Walt Disney Studios Paris back in July of 2014. Same ride system, four six-passenger vehicles, all dispatched at the same time. Difference with this trackless system, in fact, you were talking about how much you enjoyed the waterfall effect in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. This is the first time they use trackless vehicles with giant screens. And in fact, what's kind of amazing about uh, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure is how long sometimes you sit in front of a screen. Like the introductory scene, which starts off with Remy on the roof of Gusteau's restaurant, you know, talking with the, the ghost of Gusteau about what he's going to make that night. And then accidentally, the skylight opens, He fall, Remy falls through to the floor of the very busy kitchen that we'd seen in that Pixar movie. And huh. it's 50 seconds, which is an eternity in yeah. a theme park attraction, but your ride vehicle finally moves and you get into dimensional sets. But this is the first time Disney's used height in a trackless vehicle. How so? After you transition out of the scene where, from the very busy kitchen, 
you actually go into the pantry. And this is when you travel under that 24-foot-tall uh, faux ham that's dangling from the ceiling, and you look at the giant refrigerator door 20 feet in front of you, you can see through the, the sort of smoke glass that, you know, here's Remy and Re Emil interacting while they're inside the refrigerator. But you're in this giant space. You can look up and see other foods that are stacked up 30, 40 feet above you. And it's, it really helps sell the idea that, wow, you are rat size. You are in this space. Also, when the skylight opens, the way they sell that you're actually falling is a couple of things. You've got the footage being screened in front of you. Uh -huh. Your vehicle tips forward just a little along with a, a discrete wind effect in your face. I think they're using exactly this effect in Runaway Railway. That's it, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. That, 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 what's fascinating to me with Runaway Railway is how all of the lessons that they learned from the early attractus attractions are then brought to bear on a Runaway Railway. Okay, so now we jump ahead to August of 2017. The great movie ride closes, so... And it takes them two and a half years to install, uh, you know, Runaway Railway inside of the old great movie, right? And, and look, I know there's a number of Disney fans who, their one complaint about Mickey's Runaway Railway is they had to lose the great movie ride to make room for this. Looking at great movie ride versus how good Runaway Railway is right now, I think if Disney has the had, to have, had to make the choice between mm -hmm. Do we update Great Movie Ride mm. and completely gut a bunch of scenes that no one under the age of 30 recognizes? And then address things about like, you know, the violence in the ride and things like that. Or do we do something that is based on a classic character mm. with new cartoons that everybody likes? I mean, that's a no-brainer, Jim. I get that. But what Disney fans have been saying is that, honestly, wouldn't this have been a better choice to put in the old magic of Disney animation show space. I mean, literally, it's called the Animation Courtyard. Why not put this attraction over there? The interesting answer to that question is Tim Grassy, you know, that was actually the one who, who got this out of Kevin Rafferty right after they announced at the D23 Expo back in, in August of 2017, you know, that Tim got Kevin, Kevin Rafferty, the gentleman who got in charge of the attraction, to admit that one of the things he loved about the Great Movie Ride show building was the, the size, the, the height of the ceilings. What people forget about the Great Movie Ride, it's a 95,000 square foot show building. And the, the building itself in some places is 60 feet tall. And Kevin oh, wow. wanted that height because the idea was we've done these big wow rooms in Who's Honey Hunt. We've done you know a big wow room at the end of Mystic Manor, what if we were going to do three of these? We're going to need all 95,000 square foot. We're going to need the height. So when we do right. the Toontown cityscape or when we're in the Wild West scene or you were just talking about the tornado, we're going to need that height. The challenge, of course, was doing the projection mapping, but in a way that it had never been done before. So there's two particular rooms in this attraction land. Now, you talked about the waterfall sequence, but what I love about the room that you come in and out of the water effect there is that you start off on a South Seas island, right. and suddenly a volcano erupts, and literally this wonderful green lush space goes ridiculously orange. And then right. you, you do your waterfall effect, and while that's going on, they're doing a reset behind you. So when you turn around, 
you're suddenly under the sea. That's why I couldn't figure mm-hmm. out whether to count that as one or two show scenes. I counted it as two. I think there's 11 then overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's much the same thing effect in the factory room. When Mickey and Minnie finally managed to turn off the factory after, and again, you're right, there are thousands upon thousands of gags in that room. Oh my God. But yeah. what's lovely is when they hit the switch, you literally watch the room turn into the perfect picnic park. Yep. You know, it, it goes from this violent reds and spinning cogs to peaceful blue and green space. And it's just like, and again, you've never been on a Disney, you know, attraction that's ever done this before. So again, Kevin and I I need to point out Sharita Carter, who served as the show producer on this thing, they fought hard for the great movie ride. And I I think they've delivered a new centerpiece attraction for the Hollywood section that families are going to love. And we also have to acknowledge there have been some folks who are a little put off by the animatronic figures. I I get it. So you're talking specifically about how Mickey's and Minnie's noses look. Yeah. I I thought about this the first time I rode. Mm. There's no way that you're going to take a two-dimensional character, even if you're trying to draw him in 3D, mm. and, and make it an actual 3D thing. There's just no way around it. I, get, I got used to it on the second ride. Okay. I think it's fine. And also, from as far back as November of 1998, when they were doing the Buzz Lightyear figure in Space Ranger Spin, and they were doing the yeah. projection from inside the head, there were folks like, all right, that's a little odd-looking. And we've heard the same things about Seven for North's Mine Train, when it opened in May of 2014, or... Frozen ever after. And you're right. After the first ride, you're fine with it. It's that first ride where it's like, "Mm, that's a little weird. Yeah, I got over it really fast. Two final points here. You talked about how much you enjoyed the the waltzing and Daisy Ducks dance studio. And and then (laughs) it's really great. I totally think it's a a demo of what the ride vehicles can do, though. They don't just waltz. They you conga out of that room. But I have to point out the fact that Jimmy Neutron's Nicktoon Blast did it first and did it better. Because remember, on that ride, you did the chicken dance. <laughs> and that opened back in April of 2003, and it's, it's, it closed in August of 2011 to make room for Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. Also, a lot of people absolutely love the goofy tag gag of, what does this lever do? And then he, he electrocutes himself. The Simpsons ride, when it opened in April of 2008, had the very last image of, you know, of the attraction was you cut back to Krusty the Clown in the control booth and he, he looks at a button, you know, well, what does this do? And he hits it and your car, like an electric shock and a shaking effect went through. That was literally the last gag of, of the Simpsons ride. And eventually Universal cut it because people would actually go to guest relations and complain. So Kevin Rafferty is a fan of all theme park rides. So in a weird sort of way, the fact that both of those gags had disappeared and people who work in the industry loved them. So the fact that he found a way to bring them back, more credit to him. But cannot wait to get down to Florida to experience this in person because the very thing you talked about, I spent last night watching virtually every YouTube video that was up there. And the weird thing is people had stuff from the third car back or from the left side or the right side of the first car or that sort of thing. And every single time you saw something different. Yep. It would be great if we could do, if we do like a 360 degree video of the entire thing, that would, that would truly be astounding. I think attractions magazine has tried to do that. I just with three. Yeah. I, I think that might actually be available on YouTube now, but it just, 
Len, you understand, I'm, I flummox by brownie cameras. You know, I, I looked at that last yeah. night and I was like, what is, how does that work? So <laughs> I'll figure it well, out. It, it, it might be faster, Jim, for you to actually fly down here and do it in person than to figure out how it works in VR. There you go. There you go. That's fantastic. Well, good, uh, good synopsis, Jim. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Lentesta, at touringplans.com. On next week's show, it's time to start thinking about bathing suit season as Jim tells us the history of Walt Disney World's Typhoon Lagoon. And for you Bandcamp subscribers, we'll have a new exclusive episode on how Disney used to train cast members to be characters like Mickey Mouse. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's displaying his ceramic tableware and figurines at the Cabin Fever Arts Festival in beautiful downtown Hillsboro, Ohio, on March 21st from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And yes, the photo op with Aaron is the pottery scene from Ghost. Uh, While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.